Hello and welcome to the 6++ Plus Show, a podcast for your wargaming and 40k needs. Hobby talk, tactics, tournament reports, lore and much more. We have it all. Please welcome your host for the evening, Tom. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and cans on bikes. There's an engine revving in the background as I say that, which is quite appropriate. To that 6++ show. I am your host, Tom. It is too warm to be inside discussing toys today. Should not be doing it, but I have my summer drink. I have a huge pint of Aperol Spritz, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to enjoy myself. Um, so let's meet the rest of the discussion panel for today. I'm joined by Chris. Say hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. Chris, what is new in your life? Oh, so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in fact, very little, because I've not been doing any <laughs> hobbying at all. What? Um, I know. I've just, well, that's a lie. I've started painting some trees um, of the Sylvaneth <laughs> variety. Oh, exciting. Very exciting. Um, but working out how to paint with winter wood. That's the, uh, that's the goal. Um, but other than that, no, obviously, um, Jamie and I went to Saffron Slam. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. A couple of weekends ago, which was good fun. And we both went three and two, finished seventh and ninth. I believe. Yes, and you hit, um, you hit all the big boys, didn't you? You went into the Tyranids. And, and yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, <laughs> I took I took the Harlequins, beat Jakari, Eldari, then lost to Tyranids, lost to Tyranids in Gene Steeler Cult, and then built, built, um, beat Oh, it's a sick build. That's interesting. Yeah, That's no, it was a range. That was the game where there was, like, no objective near any terrain. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that, was a, that was an Good exciting time. challenge. Good times. Um, but no, um, I lost. So the guys I lost to finished first and fourth, and the one I lost first to, um, we, it was a ninety-one ninety game. I don't think I've ever had a. You game. don't get games like that very often. Oh, I've never lost with uh, ninety points, let alone a no. ninety-one. It's so nice to really be cool that game. close. I think. Yeah. And tactically, that was a really interesting experience because just I couldn't kill anything, so just trying to play machine. That was a good learning opportunity. Mm. And then Jamie did well with his Grey Knights again. He lost to the Gene Steeler Colt and um, to an id guy and he lost to knights mm. um, but apparently his dice rolling was just insanely bad like he just couldn't make a save <laughs> um, whereas I played Tyranids when I played the Tyranids versus Gene Steeler Colt and Gene Steeler Colt I literally couldn't fail a four up in fun <laughs> it was just like, I just had to constantly apologise I was just like yeah. I'm really sorry for all of these saves I'm making sometimes you can just feel it like just feel it coming it's, it's fated so, sometimes yeah, yeah. I, have, fated. I have that with Dukari I have runs where you're just like every six up in fun is getting made today I'm going to yeah. make it, I'm making every single one or at least one of every two just enough to absolutely ruin all your output yeah um, just, all that the time. Sounds, sounds like a game we had a few days ago Tom <laughs> Lee how are you Lee I'm good tell everyone I'm how good. you are <laughs> I'm I'm doing all right, yeah. Um, been very much enjoying playing my Chaos Knights. Yeah, as they're they're fully built. I've played three you games. Played, played any handsome devils with them lately? Uh, no, not. Uh, well, I played Mark Kirkham. <laughs> oh yeah, Mark Kirkham. Okay, shout um, out to Mark Kirkham. Shout, shout out to Mark. Um, I've played three games. I've lost horribly three times. Um, it's going great in that sense. <laughs> um, but you know what? It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's very very different to what I'm used to. It is, isn't it? Um, it's nice to have things that can move more than five inches. Yeah. Um, and it's just a completely different way of playing. So I'm really enjoying that. They're all built now. They're fully magnetized. Some of them are painted, so I'm just working on that now. 
What's so, your if you were going to give a sort of very very brief summary of the play <clears throat> experience with the new book to any prospective Chaos Knights yeah. players or fans out there? How would you describe it? What's it like? Um, it's <clears throat> it's definitely tough. You don't have the resources to trade anymore. Um, yeah. Luckily, I'm fairly used to that because most armies don't do that either. Yeah. Um, but what what you've got it's a lot. It just if your opponent has lots of things that can put down vehicles, you're in for a really tough time. <laughs> However, obviously your output is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and you do actually do have quite a lot of mission play because all the little boys are uh, obsec for five and you can make one big guy obsec for 10. Yeah. Um, I think that the difference is just sort of positioning is much harder. Mm. Um, it's not as forgiving as you think. It sh- you think it should be forgiving, but it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what, to be honest, there's a lot more layers to it than, than you would think. I think, um, that's I think what's compare cool that to the, the previous book, which was yeah. kind of like a pamphlet. This one, <laughs> this one's got a lot going on with it. So I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, and what's great about it for me is that there's, there's a lot less mental tax, or at least I hope there will be, um, because you, you're not moving around as much stuff. Um, yeah. You've only got in my list. I think I've got nine models. Yeah. Um, which is, is sort of roughly what your average chaos Knights player is taking. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Yeah, I think when you did that all demon engines list for Skiro Slam, that that was sort do, of do you think that sparked something for me that, that, I think that awoke something in you you're like you know yeah. what having nine massive guys is is great yeah. what a cool the way to were so terrible though <laughs> they were so bad maybe this is my way of trying to make that work yeah yeah absolutely no, old I, style I forge feed very, is not I the one I think they're very cool Chaos Knights I like them a lot um, I'll get. I mean, I, I think the, the raw power of it and the potential of it was pretty clear, even from our one. Our one yeah, the, the issue is I don't have a clue what I'm doing. So no, what I've will. been doing so will. far is sort of moving the bits <laughs> around, trying to just remember where to be. Mm. Um, useful stratagems, you know, resource management, um, and a couple of other bits that sort of you just learn only by doing. So I'm yeah. trying to just do as much as I can, um, and hopefully learn a few things. Definitely. No, very exciting. Well, you've got to get ready and limbered up because we're going to a Teams event before too long. They are. They are a good candidate for we, the list we for that. We may well have you on the nights unless Chris has a panic and puts you on the Thousand Suns where you're safe, <laughs> where you're reliable. We'll see how this weekend goes. Yeah, yeah. This absolutely. is the trial. <laughs> I think it's got it in it. Oh, God. To be fair, when we played Thousand Suns versus Sarkins, I did win that, so I guess I'm, yeah, I'm up for you that. Yeah, no so if you lose this with Knights, then... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, scary. I actually think that it's Knights have a really good game into Harlequins. I'm saying now, but watch me again on the <laughs> podcast next week when I went, it did not go this way. Um, just because there's not, you know, it's, there's a lot of winning on hitting on sort of whatever's, depending if it's light or dark, but then there's a lot of winning on twos. Yeah. Um, a lot of mortal wound output in phases that are quite annoying mm. um, and just ways to sort of interact with morale that for some reason I think Harlequins mm. will suffer with because. If you're at minus three and you're losing models on one, twos, and threes, and you're losing two models for those, that's that's going to really, really hurt. Yeah, it's interesting. It probably won't work out that way because anything through with morale is terrible. No, it's not. It's the best, the best, <laughs> best feature of the entire game. Anything <laughs> involving leadership. So uh, yeah, come back ne- this time next week when I've lost 130 twice. <laughs> we'll do some uh, video updates on yeah, no, um, please, the Facebook please page. Please do. Yeah, to go there. Although you'll have to forgive that they're not painted. Yeah, that's why it's not going to be a bite-sized bat yeah. rep. We'll yeah. just yeah. do some little comment video type things for yeah. people who want to follow along. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. Very nice, very nice. I've not done much hobbying either because it is really nice outside in the UK and I think everyone should seriously consider doing very, very little Warhammer um, and actually just getting out in the weather because it's fantastic. But I have I have painted some Jakari. I've been improving my Jakari army because my poor Jakari have always been rushed for every witch event over the last <laughs> two years. And so, so many units are like, 
nearly nice, but could be much nicer. You're doing that thing that I thought was impossible. Yes. Yeah. Which is to go back and actually <laughs> do the all, thing, all which is took, update your models. All it took was speed painting two armies for two different events in the space of about a month and a half. Uh, which made me so, so upset with the idea of painting something new that I've sort of retreated into security and things, yeah. things, things that are very reliable. But I'm having a lot of fun with that. I actually, I bought a bunch of like little crystals, like glowy green crystals for basing. Mm-hmm. So I was going to do this with Skaven. And indeed, I am going to do this with Skaven for like Warpstone. But then I was like, I bet this would look nice on my Jakari. And indeed, it does. It's nice yeah. to have sort of a bit more glowing green dust around the bases. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. Sweet, okay. Well, today we are going to talk about resources and resource management. Because uh, this is something that we all feel is a really important aspect of 40k, and it's about to be even more important, guys, because they're about to change the way some of your resources function. Uh, we know that the game is about to update, and we know that with that certain aspects of the game particularly command points are going to change so we thought it was Mm -hmm. a good time to talk through our own experiences of resource management um, and talk through some of the the common mistakes common issues common things and lessons that we have learned perhaps that help us to get the most out of our armies our units our resources Uh, because running out of resources in a war i'm told is not good not a good thing so if you can yeah, avoid that sure. if it, exactly. we're looking at <laughs> you to everything in my power not to say that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not to name any countries uh, <laughs> don't run out of resources um and so it's very relevant it's uh, we're in we're in tune with the zeitgeist with this episode um Always. and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about command points to begin with then we're going to think about f- what we've termed faction specific resources or fsrs now I'll never use that again I will literally never use that again Um, (laughs) and then units points and characters the sort of dual concepts of trading and overload because this is a fun conversation actually quite an interesting conversation about trading and and bit piece exchanges versus flooding and the respective merits and advantages of doing both YOLOing versus very Mm -hmm. measured and controlled play um, so, without further ado, we're gonna we're gonna stray into the fabled realm of realm of command points. Now, command mm. points are changing; we know that, but we're gonna talk primarily about the use of command points as we've had to deal with it in ninth so far, and some of the key issues with that. So, would either of you like to take the floor first to discuss some of the potential challenges, issues with command point management? Yeah, I, I think it's maybe worth just quickly hopping on to what those changes are for those of you oh, who sure. haven't seen them. Yeah. Um, so most of our competitive games are played at 2,000 points or a strike force uh, size battle, which we're used to sort of basically starting with 12 CP and then you're spending however many you want on mm-hmm. other detachments, additional relics, water traits, whatever. And then you're, you're used to getting one back in the command phase, uh, sorry, the command mm-hmm. phase in every turn. Um, and the way that's changing is that rather than doing that, Um, You're going to start with 6 CP, and you're going to gain a command point back in each player's command phase. Um, So obviously the the timing of that is is quite significant. Um, And the other major change is that you also will no longer have your free uh, Relic and Warlord trait. Um, So if you are wanting at least one of those, you'll be actually starting with 4 CP in the game, Um, although you'll quickly get one straight back. Um, And obviously any additionals. So what you might find is rather than starting with sort of seven, eight, nine, ten, as sort of a a typical list might be, you might be starting with one or two, and that's a really significant difference. Yeah, hugely different. Hugely different. And the the gaining of two per turn, I think, will really change the way that, especially late game plays, happen, right? Because you're. Yeah, I mean, how often have you. 
you, I, I mean, I've done it before, rocked up to a table, particularly with Mercurial Space, I means you'd rock up to a table. Something good would would come about, but it's head out. Your obliterators are double shooting and they're getting um, Iron Warriors treatment and they're getting plus one to wound. And then you're going to shoot twice. And then all of a sudden you've spent the sort of six CP in one go. And that's just not going to be a thing anymore. No, no, exactly that. Yeah, the capacity to spend in massive bursts. Some armies will still manage it because there's lots of generation and not all armies need traits and relics as much. And actually we'll soon find out which armies needed them and which armies just had them because they were a nice thing to mm-hmm. have, right? I think they're more essential in some armies than others. But that's actually something we're going to discuss in more depth when we talk through uh, Nephilim when it drops um, in a week or two, and we'll you know we'll, we'll do more of a deep dive on that and the implications of that later on. So in terms of command points, yeah, you know, it's it's you know as you say there, Lee, I think they're a resource which can be very very important at clutch moments in the game. Right, a lot of armies want to sink two, three, four command points in particular into particular actions. They can unlock some extremely game changing moments. You know, particularly some of the core. Uh, command point abilities with interrupt, with pass mm. morale, with re-roll on a big save at the clutch moment. All of these things can be game-defining in terms of the points they can accrue you, the points they can save you, the damage they can do. So, what do you think? And we'll, we'll head to, we'll head to head to Chris first. What do you think as a player um, we can do to ensure that we get the most? from command points in our games and avoid having a situation where we're struggling resource-wise with our command point management? Yes, I think fundamentally, it's always been a good piece of advice, but now it's just almost essential if you (laughs) want to compete well, is you need to have a plan for your command points before you go into the game. So you build your list, you need to know what are the key stratagems you're going to be using on turn kind of one, two, three, four, five, you know, to an extent. When all of our CP was front-loaded, it could be more like a one, two, three, I'm going to hit these combos and then job done. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's probably a bit more like evenly spread out. Um, So have a plan. You look at your stratagems. How is my army designed to function on the table? How is it designed to win the mission? Is it one which is going to, you know, blow four, five, six CP early on on these particular stratagems, or is it one where I can do like these little tricks across the course? But most armies, I think, have a few stratagems which they're going to use regularly. So I know that um, Harlequins players will often want Phantasm in their back pocket. Oh yeah, for that first, um, for that kind of first. Um, the, like that opportunity to redeploy, mm. uh, but there are lots of yeah, lots of armies out there. They have certain stratagems that they want, certain combos that they want. You need to have that planned out because it then means that when it comes to other opportunities to do your stratagems, um, you know whether you can afford it or not. So if you come up with a plan to say, right, I know over the course of this game, I'm going to need to spend these six CP, mm-hmm. um, you'll be able to at any given moment go, oh, actually, I can afford this or not. So I think having a plan is going to be super key. Yeah. And I think it's so easy to just get into that situation where you're thinking, right, oh, I really want this unit to stay alive. If this unit stays alive, if I just make this four up invulnerable with this reroll, yeah. he'll then have to fire another thing into this unit to kill it, which means that unit over there might survive and then that might change the course of the game. The, the amount of times that, first of all, you fail the four up, not one into the one, we yeah. all know that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but the amount of times that hasn't, doesn't actually affect how the game goes, yeah. Um, 
like uh, Vanguard Tactics love to say um, CPs for VPs. And it is, I mean, to an extent, it is kind of true. You know, you want you want to be convert using your command points to help you score. Um, yes. I can give one example of um, from a NIDS game I played recently um, where I needed to make some four-up invulnerables. And I chose, I've got my luck rolls. They didn't come off. I used my CP reroll to try and make that four-up invulnerable. Um, and I failed it. Now, the unit died, fair enough. They were probably going to die to a flyer anyway. Um but the thing was, by failing that save, um, it actually cost me four primary points yeah. um, because a unit was therefore not on the objective. And um, that I lost the game by one point. So that was a situation where using a command point reroll scored me, in this case didn't, but could have scored me yes. victory points. Yeah. Um, whereas at other points, you know, I've done it with my custodies. So many times, you know, you use your CP <laughs> to try and keep your custodies alive. They feel like they're really valuable. Yeah. And I think it's really easy just to get drawn into the heat of the mm. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you want to try and take that step back and go, you know, if this unit dies or doesn't die, like what impact is it going to have on the scoreboard and is that changing the shape of the game? Yeah. So those are kind of the two things I'd say, you know, think about those rerolls. I mean, now rerolls are so valuable, you know, like you're getting, I mean, I think list building is going to change, you know, people aren't going to want to take two detachments anymore. They're going to be a lot more reserved on warlord traits and relics. Um, and, you know, you can't front load your CP, you can't hit hard um, in big, you know, obliterator bursts um, because you're just going to be, but you are going to get stuff, you know, as it comes along. But that moment where you're like, oh, yeah, but I'm already running really low on CP. Do I want to do this command point reroll? Yeah. So when we did that battle report where command point rerolls were two CP. Yeah, that was huge. That was and huge. all of a sudden you're like, that's so it was so interesting, it. wasn't it? Having it like yeah. that because you're like, it's, no, it's not worth it. It's absolutely not worth it. So we didn't do it at all. But so often we're like, ah, oh, it's only one CP. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. Now we don't have five that. turns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't it's have the that roll, right? Where you're just like, yeah, go on, let's chuck a bit more in. Let's get a bit yeah, more damage. Go on. Go on. Um, I think it's an interesting point you make about like almost like blood rush because I think that's a very real thing with command points. I think when in the heat oh, it of the definitely game, is in the heat of the game or the heat of like a big moment, whether you're on the defense or whether you're on the attack. I think there's a genuine adrenaline at work here. And actually, this is something, you know, the relationship between like psychology and chemicals and resources in general is quite an interesting one. Like, why do people gamble? Why do people blow money on mm. this, that, and this? Why do people spend hundreds of pounds on chaos demons? All these, all these, kind, <laughs> all these kinds of unanswered <laughs> questions. Um, and I think with command points, yeah, sometimes you have to recognize, is, yeah, exactly as you say, is this, um, is this, is the, the sort of expenditure here being driven by, a, a management of outcomes in the game that's that's important like are there points on the line is there primary on the line are there secondary points on the line okay that's a good use of it then if there aren't or if i'm just trying to push through a bit of damage uh in a fairly inconsequential bit of shooting or melee then that's not necessarily a good use for it right at the moment i was there's so many times where i've had games and it's been i've done it and my opponents have done it where it's the end of your turn and in mm. some kind of exchange of attacks or combat, for whatever reason, you spend one one CP that you don't need, and then you look down and you go, oh, it's their turn now, and I can't interrupt. I've gone down to one CP. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've eaten my interrupt CP. And that and the, the two CP for interrupt is so huge in so many exchanges, and it's so easy when you're not paying attention to just blip it for some other little thing uh, that you didn't necessarily need that wasn't vital. 
um, and certainly isn't as vital as one of your big assets getting to smack something in their turn, right? Um, Lee, do you want to come in on this too? Yeah, <clears throat> I guess to, to, to go with that, there's two things. One, one small point which you've alluded to is using CP for things that are not gambles. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, for for instance, um, rather than you know, if you have the option for uh, on a four up, something happens. Um, there's a there's a good example in the Chaos Knights book. So, there's one of them is allow you reroll once to hit. Yes. Another one uh, in combat. Another one is plus one to hit in combat. So reroll ones might never be useful. Plus one to hit is, is much more likely to be useful. So I like things that give you a guaranteed effect. Yeah. Um, but the, the main point I was going to make before that was actually um, to go along with what Chris was saying, not only when you're sort of planning how you're going to use your CP um, and you're sort of thinking, oh, maybe I'll use that reroll or whatever. Also <laughs> remember that your opponent is in the same situation as you. Yes. So they also have less CP. So the way that it should balance um, is that you you both actually have the same reduction in resource. So the timing of it might be ever so slightly different than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also may be less likely to push you to that point anyway. So it's going to be a really interesting sort of mental joust to yeah. see um, who's going to uh, use those resources yeah. when. Um, because, uh, as, as I say, the timing of it is going to be so much harder to predict. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point, and I think I think that that earlier point about certainties versus gambling is really interesting as well. Because as, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right, I think different factions have stratagems that just consistently yeah. offer so much. I'll, gi- I'll give you another example from the book that uh, I, I did one against you, and I did the other against Mark. So <laughs> two CP, a lot of CP, and it will be in the future. Yeah. Auto explode a knight. Yeah, and you know <laughs> that's going to wreck. That's going to be great, right? <laughs> I mean, there is the two d six range on that. Um, mm-hmm. So that you, you do run the risk that you get, you know, a two-inch explosion. But it's a um, shower of mortal wounds into tiny exactly. fragile bodies. Kills Drazar in one go. That's good it fun. It did kill Drazar in one go. Go to hell. Um, but then similarly, that's that's a huge effect. Yeah. Um, in the next game, I thought, well, I've done that already. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try the the strat that on a four-up brings a knight back to life from the dead. Two CP doesn't get up. Oh, I knew. Uh, it. That's, I knew that's, it. A, that's a kind of resource that in a in a sort of competitive environment. You cannot you cannot rely on a four up to happen, um, and two CP for that on something that it has a fifty percent chance of being game changing, being game breaking potentially. If you're yeah. if you die in the fight phase and you come back and you've got a knight that you can use in the next excuse me in the next round, yeah, but it doesn't happen. Um, sort of thing you do when you're down, isn't it? You're like, oh, yeah, if, if, yeah. if I've got no other options, um, then I, I I will try it because it's the, if it's the thing that keeps me in the game and it comes off, then I have a chance, and if I don't then I just, I'm losing anyway. So, yeah. um, so that's that. But you don't do that speculatively anymore. No. I don't think. No, exactly. I think, I think that touches on another point, which is that you can, you can relate this to game state, can't you? You can, there are, there are situations in mm. which you need to take some gambles. You need to try yeah. a couple of things. Um, and then the flashier plays or trying to get a, a character back up or a knight back up, all of these sorts of things, Phoenix Lord, whatever else those things can suddenly matter a lot more because the potential reward might just be enough to help you get yeah. back in a game that you're getting out of. But wasting resources to no effect, essentially, yeah. when things what, are going well, isn't isn't a good use of resources. No. <laughs> what, what's interesting, actually, is thinking about, um, I know soup is un, unfashionable, but we're sort of bringing it back in with Knights now. One thing that's worth keeping in mind is if you can have any cross-faction synergy that actually reduces the, the probability risk on some of these things nice so yes. w- one example for that is um obviously you can't cp that reroll uh, that sorry that strategy that i just mentioned to bring your knight back to life but if you have if you're souping in a, a thousand suns list which i often would 
you can also use your Infernal Master Pact, which is to reroll any dice. So then you've actually got a 75% chance of that coming off. Mm, that's um, clever. So that's it's clever. worth thinking about. It, it, it's niche. Uh, there probably are other areas yeah. that sort of, that were like, especially with the old books that would maybe allow you to do some weird stuff like that. But yeah, yeah look, look for any synergies like that. Yeah, no, that's a very nice one. And I think the other thing, uh, Chris, Chris talked about having a CP game plan, and I think that's totally valid. I think you will know from a few goes around playing any army what your important stratagems are right mm. people you start to realize what, got a handful what by, like so. fun ones are and what the actually genuinely good ones are yeah and i think eventually certainly a lot of good players keep track of that and a lot of good players are like, well i want to use this stratagem two or three times in a game so i have to make sure i have cp to do that how many mm-hmm. cp is that that's four or five okay then then i have to make sure that four or five of my cp are going are being kept specifically for that um, I had an example. I played White Scars relatively recently, and it was an all combaty White Scars. And looking at the, the game, I was like, "Well, I'm going to want to interrupt every turn because he yeah. doesn't have the means to engage me. Without he doesn't have a fight last, he doesn't have anything like that. So I can interrupt every turn. So actually, I just need to save my CP and just kill his stuff in his turn every turn for the game. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was a much better use of it than saying, "Oh, I'll lightning fast reflexes, I'll fire in fade." Other yeah. things that you might use in a different situation, a different kind of game, become irrelevant in this context. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, so I think judging the opponent a little bit and judging the particular demands of the mission. Are you going to be needing to interrupt a lot? Are they coming at you? Is, is there going to be realistic scope to do that? Which of you is it your defensive strategies you're going to need to lean on? Is it your offensive one? Are you going to them? Mm-hmm. Do you need movement? Do you need speed? Are they coming to yeah. you? Do you need reactions? Do you need just sort of trickery of movement and, and intervening? Those sorts of things. Yeah. I think one thing that I think Chris alluded to earlier is one thing we'll definitely have to be sort of revisiting is, is list design anyway, and particularly yeah. any army that has the function to get regeneration into their list. Yes, um, because yeah. if you can um, sort of sort of leech an extra one a turn, that now could could be absolutely game changing. If you need a, a three CP stratagem, if I look at my thousand suns to reduce sort of um, incoming damage on those terminators um, from three to two, that's an absolutely game changing thing. Yeah, um, and if you can then just sort of when your opponent uses strat or at the start of the battle round, you can roll a dice and you can get one. Yeah, I think that's something that you will start to see more and more people bring in. Definitely. And conversely, value of something like Agents of Vect oh, or oh. a whichever assassin it is that increases Hello. CP costs yeah. suddenly Agent, becomes Agents of Vect exponentially or completely life-ruining tool as it now is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does make me wonder about Forearmed Emperor for GSC as well because I've never actually really run them, but actually. But yeah, that, if you if you yeah. can just starve your opponent of CP, I mean that is a Huge. viable way of trying to win a game. Huge. Yeah, completely. absolutely, it is. It's strangling another resource, isn't it? Um, I think one of the interesting, you know, we alluded to it earlier, but the fact you'll be paying for every trait and every relic means that you will also need to very genuinely weigh up every warlord trait and every relic against stratagems because ultimately yeah. they're they're coming out of the same pool. You're going to have to make decisions, and I think ultimately some armies will realise their warlord traits matter a lot less than others. I mean, the examples, so GSC warlord traits very rarely affect the game in any meaningful way. Most of your yeah. characters hide or die um, and they're not going to be doing anything particularly glorious with their wall of traits you contrast that to something like Harlequins for example where the wall of traits you tool up your troop master with that's a massive part of, of how you play right you can leverage a lot of a lot of damage a lot of output out of one little character and you have to really look at every trait you're putting in there every relic you're putting in there and thinking is there a stratagem out there in my book that actually is better to have that mm-hmm. and have that more reliably across a game than 
than to be tooling up these extra bits. I'm very guilty of buying every toy I can possibly buy, so this is going to be a whole new, a whole new universe for me because I like to load up every single trait and relic and thing that I can think of. And so this, it is going to be a real, a real change. I suspect a lot of armies are going to go in with like one or two CP. I think that's probably what I'll I think do. I will oftentimes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But as you say, re- regeneration tools as well, the means of getting additional command points yeah. through carry. Some armies have it better than others. They definitely do. Um, so then we'll, we'll start to see maybe, we'll, we'll learn very quickly how important, yeah. I guess firstly that is, but also it'll how be, important it'll strategies It'll be mentioned, are. won't it? People on the internet will will mention this. There will be mention of which I armies. I think other there. people are going to talk about this. <laughs> other people will talk about which armies have benefited more than others uh, from the upcoming so Maybe you'll we'll get some kind of list. I'm, in, I'm not afraid to go on a pyramid style. <laughs> yeah, a tier system. Oh, we, we could we've never done that. a tier system. I think we're probably Should we do one? I think it's a pretty nice clickbaity thing for us to do. It feels like a nice, easy, three million views let's do it let's do it <laughs> three million views right okay anything else to say about command points or should we move on um that was all the points i had down wonderful yeah, so. okay no need to re-roll we'll progress we're now going to think about fsr's <laughs> faction specific resources which doesn't is not a natural acronym and will not be back never again um and I mean, this can mean a lot of different things, right? But different armies have, within their rule set, within their within their army's function, resources of of different kinds that are themselves limited and do themselves require important thought and important use. Now, fortunately, I'm talking to two players who, in different ways, uh, have used faction specific resources a lot uh, in mm. their recent and past careers. So. Take us through it, um, Lee and Chris. Offer us some examples before I dive into some more general examples. What kind of faction-specific resources or FSRs do you use? Um, well, with the Harlequins, we have this thing called Luck of the Laughing God. Yes, you do. Um, and that's quite good because it's basically, <laughs> on average, five free CP to re-roll. Um, kind of every battle round, and that's quite tasty. Uh, yeah, um, it's quite CP good. without CP—that's what you've yeah, got. Yeah, no. yeah, and it's it's you just feel so bad for your opponent when you're like, "I'm going to reroll <laughs> this one," uh, and because it's four ups, you know, if we were to live in a perfect world, you failed your four up, so your next dice is a successful four up, and it probably feels like that to your opponent. And I had multiple games at the weekend, but I'd be like, "Fail, luck reroll, cool pass." Well, the next dice fail, lucky roll, pass. And they must have just thought this was like ridiculously unfair. Because um, they're right. It was ridiculously <laughs> unfair. And then this time, also in two weeks, we'll talk about the Harlequins nerf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they've taken that rule away. Hopefully not. Um, and I think it just comes down to the same point I made with the CP, really, which is all about um, managing it and deciding what your plan is. Rather than just being like, oh, I'm firing my Void Weavers. Oh, I, thought I might as well re-roll this one. Um, yeah. You need to have a plan. Are you going to, is it in this particular turn, are you going out all out attack and you want to cause as much damage as you can, in which case you're going to use it for that thing? Or is it actually you're moving into position and you've given them two units to shoot at or in a perfect world, only one unit to shoot at and you're going to try and keep that unit alive and you're not going to need your rerolls for anything else. Yeah. And so it's about linking um, your resources to your plan and having that mm-hmm. plan. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into a game with the Harlequins and know, well, I know that when I play turn four, I'm going to be wanting to use my, um, my luck dice in an aggressive way. That's yeah. not going to happen. But it's a big thing about going first v second 
for the mm-hmm. Harlequins anyway, having that as well. So that will then help your decisions. But yeah, just linking it to what your plan is and adjusting that turn by turn. But yeah. don't just, I mean, it's the same with any sort of CP rerolls we've discussed and that's essentially what yeah. this is. But it's, um, it's, a, it's a smart example, right? Because it's a resource that again, like, like, like CP can be channeled either into offense or defense. And actually sometimes you need to identify when one is more important. Than the other, I the, my my short Harlequin career. I remember when I against my in my game against Stuart, I basically had to go hunting for his plague burst crawlers. They were his to the last, and a lot of the game was going to hinge on that. So yeah. I threw all my luck dice into channeling prismatic cannons into the plague burst crawlers. So I was like, I just have to push as much damage through quickly on these to drop them as I possibly can. And I was relatively mm. confident his range output wasn't enough to deal with it so that was a moment where it made lots of sense to just get through the hardest bit about death guard which is their resilience right and use it for that but as you say if you waste it on frivolous shooting that isn't important to the score or the outcome then you don't have it when you need to make a bunch of saves later and i've certainly watched harlequins players do that no i've definitely done it there were times where i'd be like oh i want to try and keep both of these alive but that one's the second one's probably more important but they start shooting to the first one and you start to make some saves and you fail something like there's a chance I could survive here. You were never <laughs> yeah. going to survive. No. There was no point. You should have saved all the luck for the, the important other one, but you yeah. can get, you can easily get kind of like lured into it by that. Oh, yeah. Oh, fours be fours, fours be fours. <laughs> but um, you also want to finish a turn with any left over, right? That's the... <laughs> well, yeah, that's, and that's definitely happening. You're like, oh, God damn it. Could have um, used those, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think just as is going to be a theme here. I think having a plan of how to uh, manage your resources and don't just try and do it as much off the hoof um, mm. is kind of the, going to be the goal. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Lee, do you have any faction-specific resources? Yeah, like and you know what? As, as Chris was talking then, I realised how different they are. Yes, uh, so the different. One, they're so different. So um, the one that we're talking about, of course, is the Thousand Sons Cabal Points. Um, interestingly, um, it's actually they're linked to two resources. Mm. Um, so, firstly, you've got the cabal points themselves, but also they're generated by a number of resources on the battlefield. So, yeah. it's you know, the amount of cabal points you get is linked directly to the amount of psychos that you have on the battlefield. So, they are sort of linked there. So, there's two ways to sort of manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that obviously, each turn you're generating the number equivalent to how many psychos you've got and however many they're worth. They're, they're different depending on how sort of exalted they are or whatever else. Um, but these are very, very different to luck rerolls. In, in some ways, more powerful, um, <laughs> yes. and in some ways, definitely not. Um, but what, <laughs> what you get with them, and this, maybe this is why I like them so much, is a guaranteed result. Yeah, maybe. So what you're doing is when you um, – almost all of them, there's only one that's not like this, um, they all do – they happen after the dice roll. And you are guaranteeing that something will happen. So yeah. be that more mortal wounds, more range, uh, make something undeniable, um, cast at the minimum value. They all just happen, which is which is very very powerful. In fact, um, oh yeah. Uh, but but managing that again, um, especially if you're starting with a lot, and, and you do have to build it into your list design as well already to say, well, I know that I'm gonna if I'm running duplicity, I'm going to need at least seven to auto cast duplicitous facade, uh, sorceress facade, mm-hmm. and that's what just eight. And there's a risk there that I, I just don't cast it, so I, I'm gonna need that. Mm. Uh, but I'm probably also at minimum wanting to make something undeniable. Um, if if yeah. my opponent's running a cycle, I'm just going to use that every single turn to either do some kind of interrogation or wrath of, um, sorry, or a mutate landscape or whatever that might be. Um, so it, it really is a lot more about, okay, well, I, I know for sure I'm going to need a minimum, let's say, of 12. 
I know that I'm not going to have all of my cycles the entire game. So how do I plan to use that? Because I've done exactly what you mentioned there, Tom, which is to say, uh, oh, I just want to chuck an extra D3 mortal wounds <laughs> onto that thing. I can probably kill it. Yeah. And then, um, uh, oh yeah, I'm going to go and uh, autocast this power now. And then I'm like, great, okay. And now for my last power, my last trick, I'm going to make something <laughs> undeniable. And all of a sudden, I'm sort of four short. And I'm like, if I, I should have just done it the yeah. other way around, guaranteed yeah. that result because that's what they're for. Um, to make that more reliable. Um, and so, again, this is like the accountant's way of uh, doing a podcast, but it's, it's about that planning. <laughs> it, it, is, is honest, it, is. it is honestly every single turn thinking, well, what's the minimum I need to achieve with these? Yeah. Because what you've effectively got there is, I can't remember how many of them are, probably eight, ten or so different options you can do with them. Each one of those is as good as any stratagem in the book. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I like to think of it in the same way as using CP, sort of a... Yeah a sort of CP that we generate almost in full each time in, in yeah. turn um, and just making sure that you're sort of sensible with them. And yeah, sometimes you need the extra D3, which will inevitably be a one when you roll it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think trying to run thousand suns without the cabal points is like trying to drive a car without starting it in a way. It's kind of, it just, it, no just point. Like, it doesn't well, make any sense. And when you no. watch players who don't, like players who are inexperienced and don't fully understand the cabal phase, mm. or cabal points and their utility, and you you go through a thousand sun cycles when you're playing against them, and you're just like you're just you're just missing out on yeah. truckloads of damage. You could be absolutely ruining me right now yeah. in the situation you're in, and you don't know the combo yeah. that you need. You don't know the three things, the three spends right now that would just open me completely up. Yeah, it, um, that's exactly it, and it's, it's so it's, important. I think that there are players out there that sort of still like to do a thousand sun soup. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other than bringing in a knight, there's no other way to preserve those. They're just they're just so valuable. They're so good. Um, I, I certainly don't leave home with sort of. I, and I guess that's a relevant point. As I'm always planning to have at least sort of fifteen, sixteen in my list. Yeah. Um, just because I think that they are so valuable. And no, I think definitely. that's another good point that um, the how reliable they are compared to the lot dice. Yeah. So the Harlequin play, you go in and you're like, oh, well, I've got my I've got my five four up in vulnerable rerolls. <laughs> that's not five six. It's not as many as you think. <laughs> I, I've had multiple games where I have failed every single yeah, yeah, yeah. roll that I've got. Yeah. And whereas you've got that kind of that consistency and that reliability, yeah. and you know when mine go well, they can be kind of game changing mm. in a certain moment. Either way, yours are just a consistent. Yeah, you can plan outcome. for it. I think that's the difference. Yeah. I can go into a game uh, if I'm playing um, another uh, army with with lots of characters in, and I think it doesn't matter if I'm playing Grey Knights. I'm still getting 15 on interrogation because I yeah. can make it so they can't yeah. deny me every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's a huge consistency, and I think that what what they may not be sort of the performing right at the highest level, but I think they have all the tools to to, to score really well in every oh, game. Definitely. And what I would say is I wanted to come in and add to it because I think these particular rules layers are they they obviously they vary massively in form, which is I think one of the coolest things about it, right? If we mm. think about the Dra- the Drakari equivalent, it's power from pain. Getting steadily better in different ways. Mm-hmm. Initially at fighting, then later at sticking around as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. Or you think about doctrines and the way that Space Marine armies in the final turn suddenly level up into these absolute murder machines if they're mm-hmm. Blood Angels or Space Wolves or White Scars. What these 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 this this whole rules layer is a ninth thing, right? It's a newish thing. I think it's often a thing that actually 
some some players find too much, slightly mm. more admin than they actually want to deal with. I think it's probably one of the elements that I think you know, when 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 they start trying to sell us buying all the same books again in about a year, um, what they will be saying is the game's got too complicated and we're going to help clean it up. And actually, what that we'll lose, we'll, we'll lose exactly this. Right, we'll lose this extremely interesting dynamic faction specific rules layer that that brings out what I think, you know, that's where the magic is in, in piloting an army well in ninth edition. It does mean a lot of bookkeeping. It does, as, as the recurring theme has been, it's management, it's planning. To mm-hmm. use it well, you need to know you have it and you need to know how to use it and you have to think about it. Um, but it's it's an enormously powerful and interesting thing and I, I will certainly miss it when it's gone and we're all back to data sheets and everyone's happy because you can just turn up and smash into each other and it's all very straightforward oh. again. Um, but I, well, I, one of the things I was going to say was I think you need to recognise in some armies that your faction-specific resources uh, get better over time, right? Thousand yeah. Suns, it's actually the opposite. Your, resor- yeah, you get worse. your resources yeah. dwindle. You're less good at it as time goes on. Harlequin's deliciously consistent. It's just as good at the end as it was at the start. Yeah. Although unpredictable, because you don't know how but, many you're going to get. Oh, well, right? that, that's exactly it. So with Harlequin's, one of the built-in risks is if you gamble for too many dice, you get you get screwed. And every now and again, you just don't have as many. And But that's it. Harlequin's are capricious. That's the point. It's supposed to reflect that, right? Um, with Drakari, with Blood Angels, with White Scouts, especially, I just say what oh, a great word yeah. capricious I love, yeah, love I love that. The word. I call that out as a great is, word that is, that is Harlequins that is the way they play that is the style Chris is going to have some blowouts Chris is going to have some glorious successes that is the nature of Harlequins they are a seat of your pants army uh, it will always be an adventure um, but I think yeah so with the melee armies for example like Drakari like Blood Angels like the White Scouts actually what those faction specific resources mean is that you want to play for the late game a lot of the time. You actually mm. don't want to run out of puff, not have units to benefit from all of these wonderful traits, right? There's no point having all of your assets dead before they have a five-up invun or before they're getting exploding sixes to hit. Sometimes the way your particular army is designed and you need to look at it and think, what do these rules layers mean for how the army wants to play? Take like Kaoyon, for example, for Tau, right? Tau players have now noticed that Kaoyon exists because they lost Monkar. <laughs> um, Kaoyon is a phenomenal tool designed to overlap with the way Tau have historically been designed to play, which is they are cautious and defensive for two or three turns, then they come out massively to finish the job in the final two turns. And Kaoyon is really well suited to doing that. So sometimes you need to recognize that I've got a set of faction traits or built-in bonuses that mean if I go out swinging straight away and everything gets killed... I'll never get to use half my units mm. at their full capacity. Drakari, this is a massive thing. right? Drakari, you always want to take turn one off if you can. And actually the best opponents know they want to try and make you do stuff before you want to do it earlier in the game because then your assets are actually weaker than they're going to be later mm-hmm. on. So you like it's nice to be able to take your time and build up into the layers of, of rules and power that you that you have. I discussed this on our Faction 101. Go and listen to that. I get right into this. Get all right up in this. Um, and so, yeah, it varies army to army, but I think it's definitely a really, a really relevant thing to try and work out and figure out what the army I love to play, when is it best? When is it added rules layer most effective? How do I make sure that I play a ga- play a, the game in a way that means I actually get the most out yeah. of that ability? Because that's where the, the secret source is of the army. Cool. Anything else to say about faction-specific resources or FSRs? Go. No, I think I think just to say that obviously that's not an exhaustive list. Lots of armies have things. Mm-hmm. Some some are similar. So canticles, protocols. Um, the other one that's sort of most similar to what we've discussed would be the Sitters Miracle Dice again, yeah. Miracle which dice, can apply very very consistent. Oh, for so good. Uh, 
Trans yeah. effect as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything that can apply a consistent. Uh, I need to roll a. I need to roll a six. Oh, I yeah. didn't. But here's a six from earlier. Anything mm. like that is just incredible. I'm about to undertake a local crusader's Oathway, and I'm just building the whole list to just be like a million strands of fate dice. Yeah. And just all the all my little traits and relics, just like yeah. just give me tons of them, and I'll just play around with that and see see if I can actually figure it out because I don't fully understand craft yeah. world yet. I won't lie. Um, um, so yeah, yeah. That, that was everything. No, definitely, it's it's really relevant, and that, I mean that's some armies have you know like doctrines or canticles. Once it's used for the first time, it's gone, right? So knowing mm. when knowing when the right time is to use it, things like the Qatar Martial Qatar, the, the Necron dynasty thingies the Necron terrible things which are, you can tell they're the first one of these anyone ever came up with because, <laughs> because they're guarded and all the rest are much better but the, yeah. it's actually the exact same concept just delivered better in every single book except the Necron one yeah. uh, which has the single worst one that exists yeah should we finish there is that the end yeah, just turn it off <laughs> <we finished. laughs> the end end of podcast dun, one episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next up, we've got units, points, characters, um, and we're, we're going to be going after that into trading and overload. But just in general, this is this is more about, I guess, your army as a resource, right? And how you manage that, how you use that. So let's let's get some some Lee and Chris wisdoms on how you manage your respective armies as a resource. Take us through what the sorts of lessons you've learned doing that. Well, I can tell you what I've learned in the last week or two. <laughs> um, which was playing the KSI, which you don't have any resources. And if you trade poorly, you will run out of stuff very quickly. Yes. Um, I, as you, uh, anyone who knows me would, uh, will know is that I'm a very cagey player anyway. You are cagey. I don't like to give things up and yet I'm still losing an awful lot of stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think um, when it comes to army composition it is where, where you can, it's about having things that you can afford to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, having resource that, you know, if you're planning um, not for much longer, but if you're planning to take stranglehold consistently, <laughs> you need to have a number of fairly quick, uh, objective secured, cheap yep. units to try and do that with um, in an ideal world. Um, no, absolutely. Um, so I think it, when it comes to army compositions, building that in, having units that you know will firstly die and you have to get over that quite quickly, um, but actually have Everything a specific does. function, mm-hmm. as in standing somewhere doing an action and then dying, whatever, yeah. whatever that might be, um, and then not having to rely on your 450-point Terminators performing a, an R&D <laughs> somewhere in the relevant <laughs> late game. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So the relationship of units to secondaries is really interesting, right? It's A lot of secondaries are much better if you have just disposable cheap units to do them servitors or racks or mandrakes or something yeah. um, ra- rather than as you say really expensive units this is actually one of the problems elite armies have in the game in general at the moment is is the action economy punishes armies that don't have as many units to play mm-hmm. with right so so if you are an army with not many units you need to have a very good consistent game plan for actions if you want to use actions in your in your army and indeed some armies are good at this so blood angels for example if you have a little six-man jump pack unit you know they can boop up and down in the sky and you can use them to get actually a lot done yeah um swooping hawks whilst bullshit and soon to, <laughs> soon to be punished for being bullshit i'm going to run a load of them in this crusade um are, are fantastic because they jump up they jump down um and so you sometimes one unit can do a whole load of jobs if you protect mm. it and if you use it well and this is actually very valid for when you're playing against an opponent as well because sometimes you can spot yeah where the, is their resource the, the limb that you're like if i kick that limb out you're gonna walk funny and <laughs> sometimes I remember my first game against Lee Churchwood in turn one. All I did, the only move I made was 
three Reaver jet bikes went over on one side and killed ten cultists, and it was for the game huge because that was his yeah, whole. Holds that, that objective that was, now. That was R and D. That was that objective. That was that flank. They were going to do one R and D. They they had the potential to teleport, do a second one later on in the game with Tide of Traitors. And I I play Chaos, so I knew I knew it was very valuable to kick that leg out early doors and make R and D a struggle for him because then I'd rather have a ten man Chaos Terminator unit doing it uh, than yes. <laughs> than ten Chaos Cultists. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I think it's really interesting because you know at the face value. Every single army has 2,000 points to create different trade or different pieces which are designed to win you the game. Yeah. And all the different armies do that in a different way. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have, it's a different, that's why changing from army to army can be such an uh, interesting challenge because how one army uses its different tokens to try and win the game is completely different to others. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've really noticed with the Harlequins. I think when you first start getting into Warhammer, it's kind of like, oh, that's big and scary. I'm going to go and kill that. I'm going to try <laughs> yeah. and kill this. And we've yeah. all done it where, you know, you'll be like, oh, this unit kind of, is, it might as well make its way towards the enemy. So I'll gradually move out towards the enemy. <laughs> yeah. And actually all you've done is you've moved it out and it's just going to get shot. Yeah. Um, and I still do it. I played um, Jamie East <laughs> the other day. I moved two sky, um, two bikes just out ready so next turn they could launch themselves into the deployment zone. Mm. And absolute waste of time. He was always going to be able to get just enough of a line to like kind of take them out. And it just was poor use of that particular you know, piece. Yeah. Um, and I think playing Harlequins has made me really focus on using the bare minimum to compete or to complete the objectives that I'm trying to on a turn by turn basis. And if they're not achieving anything that turn, then um, what's the point in moving them? Yes. Um, if they're safe for the time being. And yeah. Harlequins have that big advantage, as the Eldari do, Eldari do, they move really far. Yeah. So you can be like, oh, I can just get there. And certainly other armies need to, you know, progress in different ways. Yeah. Um, I think just knowing that about your army is incredibly important and knowing how you're going to win the game and what pieces are going to do that. So, for example, in terms of my Harlequins, um, and it's the same with you, like with your Succubus and your Jakari, mine's my Troopmaster. I've got this, like, whatever, 100-point model who is going to go and do something really important and then die. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's and you know he'll die. They they never don't die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. How are you going to use that trade? So I've played two games into Tyranids, and both times my troop master's gone in and basically one shot a Maliceptor. Sweet. Well, a Maliceptor Sweet. is so good <laughs> against yeah. Harlequin. So that is his role. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I've always rolled well when that's happened and that sort of thing. But yeah. So what you're saying game. is 100% of the time that's going to work for all of the listeners. Yeah. Get every, a troop master. All the Doesn't like even need a trait or a relic. Need- just yeet it in there. Get in there. Harlequin's blade. He'll get an extra attack. Yeah. Strength, strength, <laughs> that, strength three, AP one. Just fuck that guy up. You can use your Who shuriken pistol. <laughs> just the blade. Just the blade. Um, I'm not CP anymore, so you got to do it that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think conversely, so in my mind, I'm like, oh, it'd be really good if my 100-point model kills this Maliceptor, which is over 100 points. Or in the case of Tom, when we played and you had your succubus, and as we said before, you got real oh, She, she whited big time, but it would have been great. <laughs> but she went into 10 Harlequin troops, which were a big force in my yeah. unit. And that's going to be a points um, trade-up. 
but yeah. also far more importantly, a game state trade up. Yes. So, for example, yeah. if I go into Thousand Suns, I know my ten man troop can pretty much get really close to killing ten Thousand Suns Scarab Cult Terminators. I know yeah. that because I've done it four times and four times <laughs> all ten. <have laughs> that's died. what's happened. Um, yeah. So that's how I know that happens. Um, <laughs> but actually, in the whole meaning of the game, you've got to think. Well, actually, I won that game. Just... Is it, yeah, exactly. Is it going to win you the game? And sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. Um, so in other situations, you might be, oh, I'm going to put my 200-point unit into this 300-point unit, and I'm going to kill that 300-point unit. Great, but actually that 200-point unit for you is far more valuable than just mm. killing something. Yeah. It might be something that's going to do um, consistently score engage mm. or late game do um, an R&D or just yeah. have that threat of attacking in the middle like my 10 mans. You know, they're there and they're hovering and they're saying, come on, just get, just get slightly too close. Um, and if that, that goes because you go and do something, like I played Jamie's Grey Knights and I fired mine in and they all punched up. And yeah, cool, I've killed loads of interceptors <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Oh, but I now have nothing left once those 10 mans have died. And yeah, cool, I've killed some stuff, but it wasn't enough stuff. And now I've lost no. the game. So no. trying to just go, oh, well, I'm going to punch up slightly isn't actually um, uh, it's, it's a it's a really design. obvious thing to try and do, which is, oh, if I kill more points than my thing is worth, then I've then I've succeeded. Yeah, uh, and sometimes that's true, but as you as you rightly say, it's so often it's not true, yeah. and it's just a, such an obvious trap. Yes, um, because as those terminators, you know, whilst important to my game plan, weren't enough to to swing the game. And you, you think on paper you sort of doubled your points worth there, and yeah. then probably gone on to some other stuff. I can't quite remember what happened. Yeah. Um, they died but yeah. to multiple yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, in that you're, in that matchup, for example, and against Thousand Tons of as you know, you've got the interesting dynamic with Elves, which is once you've gone in, you're gone because they yeah. sm- they smite a couple of times and you're gone. And then, and so it's so my you dream have scenario is the, you just directly the, in front of me. That's it. The time, yeah. the time to commit. It's like well, I, I, I remember one game we played, Lee, where I think I literally just ran a tantalus straight into you did, your right army. Down, I remember, <laughs> literally just right down a flag. Down the I'd only just painted the tantalus up, and I was really excited. And I was like, I'm going to fucking yeet it down. And I think you've done the shock prowl, whatever it was, and done nothing yeah, with yeah, that yeah, as well. Yeah, it did nothing. Well, the tantalus is actually quite good at fighting, but that's another day. Yeah. The tantalus will be back soon, everybody. I promise. Um, um, but, but yeah, sometimes that was the time it's just that like you traded that, something. That was just so stupid. Well, I think I killed like a chaos spawn, and then and then about four, four, right. about four hundred points of tantalus went up in smoke. So <laughs> sometimes that's the bad play. I mean, that's that's not really that's so bad that it's not really on the same level of any of the as any of the fine tuned <laughs> com- <laughs> fine tuned moves we've just been discussing. But yeah, committing resources and and how many again with Harlequins, it always comes down to at the end of the day, you're you're. Uh, if you toss up the number of actual wounds your army actually is, it is terrifying how few wounds yeah. you, you have got mm. on the table compared to almost all other armies you'd go into. Mm. And so that's an incredibly fine line. And in a game where wounds can get battered around in all sorts of different phases, you have to be so careful with how you use them and when you use them. Um, so it sounds like you're learning a lot there. They've no, probably got is. like 100 it, wounds it, or something. It's horrifying. Just yeah. do, it'd, be, it'd be quite funny to do at some point. We'll add up some some total wounds or some lists that we've got. Harlequins, it is horrifying how few they are. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think that's a really important point. And as you say, these missiles, these, these one-and-done commit characters, 
as is you've always got to be thinking about game state and whether that gains you something as you say that sending a succubus into that 10 man that was a big that was a big moment it made sense to use the succubus at that time and although she didn't do a job it was a decision i would make again and as you say taking out a malaceptor which the overall threat of that to your army is so substantial that it's a it's probably as good a use as you can come up with for your troop master right i think in, in terms of resources you've got to make sure that your your assets are being used at crucial tasks rather than just convenient convenient tasks and i think another helpful thing to think about in in that exact way in reverse is in your turn when you're identifying the things you you can kill of your opponents it's a useful question to ask um to what extent is my opponent fully expecting me to kill these things? Mm. Is killing these things just part of my opponent's plan? Because a lot of the time it is. And so if killing it is part of their plan, how do I make sure it's not helping them or hurting me in some way? If it, you know, they booped some crew hounds onto an objective. How do I get rid of this and sort this out without putting myself in a bad spot? Yeah, they might be teasing you. That's like, exactly oh, come and it. charge the crew That's hounds. exactly <laughs> it. There's a little bit of bait. There's a little bit of, oh, you can kill this. Oh, there's, there's, there's this, this unit is exposed. I could get in and hurt that. Is that actually just about teasing out resources of mine? So I, I played against uh, Craftworlds the other day. I put one Talos. I had a single Talos as one of my units. I had put one Talos on the line, very tempting looking, and behind him, just out of reach, was a bunch of Kronos with flamers. And 10 striking scorpions came in and absolutely battered that Talos. And then they all got battered to death by Kronos. And the striking scorpions cost 200 points, the Talos cost 100. And it was very much like, this is exactly what I wanted mm. from my Talos. He's done his job. And so you have to be very careful when you're identifying opportunities on the board and opportunities to use your units to make to try and identify, am I playing my opponent's game rather than my own here? Am I? And so taking out a Malaceptor with a Troop Master, for example, you are definitely not playing their game. They are not setting up expecting or hoping that that happens, right? You're, throw, you're definitely throwing their game plan off in a big way. Um, but sometimes killing stuff is just playing into your opponent's hands if you do it in the wrong way and you overcommit. Or if you undercommit and you fail to do that thing anyway. Yes. In the case of the succubus. Or Don't if the, talk about the succubus. Or if hadn't died, for instance. The troop master, I mean, he's, um, he's killed, he's charged into five interceptors before and killed two of them. Yeah. And other times he, I've softened up a malaceptor and then gone in and done 14 wounds. In this particular game... I charged in the bikes. All the bikes for did. Uh, I think the mana scepter had about four wounds left. Mm. Then the troop master went and basically one shot the mana scepter. Mm. So that actually was a situation where, well, I've now thrown away the bikes because the bikes are now going to die to firing from other things. Yeah. And actually, the troop master would have done the job on its own. Mm. However, yeah. that troop master could quite easily, I could have just not rolled those fives and sixes. And actually, that troop master doesn't do the job. Troop master dies. And I've lost mm. it. Still got yeah. the bikes, but they're not in a great position. That sounds a um, lot like your abominant the other night, Lee, where we had yeah, the situation. Exactly. We had a situation, and this is where I think just experience comes into it, right? Which is knowing what happens when X hits Y. Yeah. How how durable is it really? Let's the find more out. you the more you know of that, and actually, this is something I actually started doing a little while ago, which is very sad. Don't tell anyone I do this except the internet. But um, sometimes I'm like, I'll just roll the dice. I'll see what happens. I was like, what happens if I flame a bomb? Of Gene Steeler Colts, Flames, three Void Weavers. That's that was the exercise I wanted to test. This was okay. in the run up the run up to teams. I was like, what happens if fifteen hand flamers go at Void Weavers? Mm. I did it a couple of times. And I was like, even with luck rerolls, a lot of the time you're killing two, possibly more. 
And I was like, that's probably given at the time the, the salience, because this was a time when all the void weavers were always to the last and everything else. And I was yeah. like, as part of a wider plan where I'm dropping other stuff, that's probably or that's probably a useful tool to have. And it, I, it did come up and it did it did turn a game at one point during the team's event. It wasn't enough in a, in a lot of games, but it was an interesting thing to have tested just to see broadly what the sorts of outcomes were. And so we had a game, didn't we, Lee, where your knight abominant, mm. Mr. Never Die. Uh, well, he, got- first, it's worth <laughs> saying that he initially failed his Never Die Psychic power he, he did. and then re-rolled it into a perils let's, yeah, let's start with that that's pretty funny. yeah lee had the worst luck ever in this game but anyway the the the, the night abominant with the no re-rolls against stands in the middle in front of the army and we just sort of we tested don't we does a, an entire we Dracari didn't really know well, yeah we were very yeah. curious and and so lee fails to feel no pain so i'm feeling quite good about it because he's he's just taken wounds off himself to know yeah effect. i think we took the full three as well you which, absolutely did you absolutely did it was absolutely unfortunate yeah so your luck was abo- abominable abominable in that nice. game um and what happened in my term was that in the end, it was a classic case of overcommitment, right? I chucked Incubi, yeah. I chucked Drazar, I chucked some Talos, and then three Kronos just one-shot him. Yeah. Um, and the Kronos got lucky. They shouldn't be one-shotting a Night Abominant. Um, but what was very clear from that point onwards was that even I I probably just needed Kronos and Talos. Stuff that was actually quite sticky and could actually deal with the punch back as well. Because what happened was Drazar got exploded, bunch of Incubi got exploded, and I lost... 200 yeah. points worth of assets. It was a really interesting 200 like, points worth of assets. Well, like, it was oh, huge. I exploded everything. I was like, oh, this is all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The explosion really made, it went from, oh God, Lee's having a horrible time to, oh, Drazar and the Incubi have all melted. This, this, this sucks. Um, and, and the overcommitment was, was massive then. You know, it was a massive, a massive misuse on my part. And actually with hindsight, knowing that the big knights explode the way they do, you've got to send stuff that can live through that, right? So Talos are great because they've got the feel no pain. You're not going to be killing any of them in an explosion anyway, but Drazar and Incubi are ideal candidates for getting melted. Yes. <laughs> so it's again a lesson in that sense. Okay, nice. Um, as our final point, this is an interesting theoretical thing. Um, the the sort of the resource balance between trading... Oh, and- before we move, I have oh, one yeah. more. Yes. I want, yeah, to talk about, I want to talk about the elephant in the room, the worst and simultaneously best resource that you can have as a Chaos player oh summoning word. reserve points. Oh my word. Okay, go on. Um, so um, <laughs> you, anyone who knows me will know that I've been complaining about this for about five years now. Yeah. But sort of in the last six months to a year, I've actually started to enjoy it a little bit more. And I wrote down three points I just think are sort of worth having. <laughs> I'm so sorry that we didn't have a specific bit know, for summoning set out. I don't know. Yeah, come on. Not many lay people are using it. Lay it, it. Lay um, it on us. But for those, I guess... Uh, who aren't aware, you can keep some points in uh, sort of not allocated in your army roster. And then if you have a chaos character, um, you can um, summon demons in your movement phase aligned to any of the keywords that your character has or um, any, if they don't have any keywords. So um, if you have a Zinch sorcerer, they can summon pink Horus, let's say. Um, there's a couple of interesting things around that. Um, firstly, um, and most importantly, um, you don't have to, declare anything until the point of it happening so what you what that means is you can summon in turn four and five Mm. um so um that means that you can bring in things that that your opponent you know they can't target what they can't get to um and then you can bring in more resource when they should be running out of resource um so when you're looking to say i'll steal an objective or if you are looking to bring a little bit more damage or 
whatever. And I guess that's part one of the benefits as well as the versatility. You can bring in whatever you want, mm. um, assuming you've got enough points left to do it. Um, there, there is a lot of value in that. And particularly if you, <laughs> it sounds really silly because it's not very far at all. If you have a really slow army like My Thousand Sons, where your characters are sort of moving six and you might advance three, when you summon, you have to summon something within 12 inches of you. So you actually can use that to have something 12 inches away. Now, that's no guarantee if you only move six and you're trying to roll an advance of that far. So if you just want to put a squad of brimstone horrors on an objective that's 11 inches away, that's much easier than trying to roll a five on your advance to get your character there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I guess I wanted to, to say is um, whilst you can, yeah, you can bring in whatever you need at the time. So if you can bring in some flamers, for instance, if your opponent has lots of things that are going to charge at you. Uh, you can bring in some fiends if you need something mm. to not be able to fall back. There's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Uh, but also, your opponent has absolutely no idea what you're going to do. They don't. And there's always a lot of value in doing something they're not expecting. Yeah. So all of a sudden, if I'm playing my Chaos Knights and I decide I really need to really double down on leadership debuffs, I bring in some Furies, I bring in some Fiends, mm. and all of a sudden, that those sort of extra effects are coming in that yeah. sort of people weren't expecting. Mm. Um, and people just aren't tooled up for it. They're not ready for no. sort of anything to come in turn five, let alone in turn four. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just another resource you can use to, to actually get you points late in the game. Yeah, and the, the sheer flexibility with that is awesome, especially if you've got like a black box of units and no yeah, one has that's a what clue. I do normally. No yeah. one knows what could come out of there. It's yeah. quite amazing. Well, there's so much in there. I remember it could be Franco, any of it. Franco had an era where it would always be like nine beasts of Nurgle are coming out of there and sitting <laughs> sitting between his yeah, his psychers and the enemy. It. Yeah, and exactly. And so, but again, if you don't know that's coming, your whole game plan is completely completely different right and that's yeah. one of those lovely resources where you you can just have so much more yeah. reaction i really hope they get summoning right in yeah the next i mean book. i've only just I've, started to, to enjoy it yeah so definitely I, change I, it now. I hope it doesn't go away and i hope that they make it an interesting and dynamic yeah, that, that armies outside of demons can still use to some extent because it is cool it is very cool um, but yeah, I couldn't move on without bringing that up. So. No, that's it's very relevant, and it speaks it speaks to a lot of the same same things. And uh, once again, the lesson here, Lee, was don't just randomly summon random things for fun, but do have some <laughs> yeah. sense of a plan for your yeah, you, your assets. Right? It's 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 both um, having the right units for it, but also you have to plan a couple of options really because you have to keep the right amount of points behind. Mm-hmm. So if I'm thinking, uh, well, it's, I can't remember, they are now 20 points for a flamer. So I, I want to bring hundred points in for a flamer, but mm. oh, I actually also want to have the option for three fiends. Well, that's 120 points. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of saying, well, am I willing to only bring in two and have 20 points? I can't use for anything. Yeah. You have to sort of go through a lot of, a lot of things. And for me, 75 points is the magic number. Nice. Very, very nice. Great. Okay. So yeah, finally we'll we'll come to this trading versus overload, which I think I think is very relevant actually, especially in our current meta, because actually I think there's this is this is massively important. But in terms of resource management as I see it, and I'm gonna lead on this one and I'm gonna invite you guys to to think about it. You you get lists which are built very much around conservative play and using resources in a very measured and very careful way across a game and not giving too much away. But another game plan which you see employed and which occasionally in certain matchups becomes necessary is more of an overload style approach, right? Which is where mm-hmm. you put the vast majority of your assets on the line very early in order to A, control space and B, get into the opponent very quickly. Because sometimes yeah. the calculus is that if I just go, I go, you go with this army, 
I will run out of stuff before they do. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think resource management is a really interesting one because you have to have a very keen sense of what your opponent's assets and capabilities are and also what yours are. Because sometimes the right thing is to go and sometimes the right thing is not to go. And it's it, and it really does vary massively depending on what you're playing and depending on matchup. But I guess I was curious, have you had experiences like this in games? Have you experienced this kind of sit back versus overload kind of binary? And how do you go about navigating that? Dealing A, with it when it's done to you and B, do you have that built into your own plans at all as well? I think um, there are some armies where it's just kind of like obvious so yep. um, you know, you take your monster mash your demons. That, that one does come to mind, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah you're going to be like, well, I'm going to throw all these horrible close combat monsters at you, and you, I don't think you can kill them quickly enough. Yeah. Um, so I think you kind of want to have that idea, but then it's hundred percent all about practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And I think what a good thing to do is, and I've tried it a little bit with the Harlequins, like in our first game time. Just throw everything yeah, chuck it at in. the enemy because you need to find out roughly, you know, how easy is it for Star Weave to kill Star Weaves? I know I spent yeah. the whole weekend people complaining how hard was it to kill a Toughness 5, 6 wound Star <laughs> Weaver. So, yeah, they are quite annoying to kill. Like, you have to overcommit and people aren't used yeah. to that. No. Um, the only way you learn these sorts of things is just by doing the um the most extreme so yes. just give like you know and if harlequins were more killing in combat you could absolutely just throw all of your star weavers at your opponent um and just say well i'm going to be in your in your lines next turn because i'm so quick yeah um and i don't think you're going to kill me quickly enough no. and you would then find that out um i think if you want to successfully be able to run a list which is about overloading you need to know um how durable um your stuff is but also you need to understand your opponent's output yes um, you do i know like so for example i played my custodies at the team tournament i played it into like an admech and knights list mm -hmm. i was like oh he's got all those he's got the scary knights and you fly them and what i quickly worked out was actually these knights were barely scr really, yeah. barely scratching the surface of the custodies um and that was just through experiencing it. So I think in an ideal world, you'll have time to do kind of like the maths and, you know, understand that, but just playing matchups regularly and knowing how it will go. But yeah, yeah like, you know, if you're running Bellacore and three Keeper of Secrets mm -hmm. and a Bloodthirster because you're a nutter, for example, <laughs> um, if you go and launch that into the face you, you've got to be thinking well what parts of his army can deal with me and where can i position myself so they won't get that opportunity to deal yeah. with me as efficiently yeah um so i think in terms of overloading you need to be aware of your defensive capabilities and also your opponent's capabilities yeah. um and then the other thing i would say in terms of trading is you want where possible you want to try and have just those throwaway units i mean the absolute classic is Stranglehold, mate, rest in peace. It's about to leave us forever. <laughs> yeah. But that, you get first turn, oh, I just need to put something on that middle objective. For a lot of armies, it is not that great to have to no. whack, you know, custodies, for example. I'll, just, I'll whack my, um, you know, 150, 200 point unit on there. You really don't want to do mm. that. Um, it's why in 
it's why in my Harlequins list I had just four bikes, four bikes, and two bikes. Because yeah. turn one, whilst everything moved into position in hiding, mm. those two bikes would just go and sit there, yeah. and it it was always going to die. That's still like but a ninety point fun. unit for it, but it's, you've got to do what you've got to yeah, do, it, right? Like, it, does <laughs> job, it does the job. It does. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes it could really annoy people who actually. I think I had one game against Tyrannies, and he failed to kill a single one because he just underestimated mm. um, oh, how yeah. much how much it would take. Um, so just, and I'm sure when we see these new secondaries, there'll be stuff still um, to kind of deal with. There'll be secondaries where we need to throw away units. Oh, definitely, um, for sure. And, you know, I think that's a trading thing. You know, in the mm-hmm. Harlequins, it's all about what's the minimum I can score um, my points with. Um, I can literally I'm see really like a, a chaos. I can see a chaos spawn in my head. Like yeah. so, yeah. so, so many games where one little chaos spawn boops out. Actually, the beasts for Drakari are quite good um, in the same way. Um, if you literally just like a razor wing flock or something, some very cheap, tiny little thing just boops out and does that job. But as you say, having those assets built into your plan means that you don't lose more Absolutely. expensive things playing that game. And I've done that. So when I've been playing with the, the Knights lately, the, there's no option. The cheapest unit you've got is 145 it's, Yeah, it's a war dog. I do, just when we talk about your Knights, I, want, I wonder whether you might want to get that, get put your overload hat on a little bit. Because I, I do, I wonder what happens mm. if, if it's, five, it's five, five of the big boys hit you at once. I think, that's, know, a, I think that's a lot. Like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm whilst, whilst, you know, it does exist, what I'm thinking of doing is having 45 points in there for summoning. Yeah, well, that's a very smart play, and you absolutely can do that. I think that's very smart. But um, chucking some furies or something think, that's quick and annoying. As, as you say, your opponent's output is important, Chris. I think also your opponent's function is important as well, right? So the, the way that a particular army dishes out damage. So the example I think is Craftworld, Eldar, but to a lesser extent Tower, where both armies are really good if you let them just line up a target and put all the right buffs and debuffs on it, and then just blow it to hell, right? But they are much less good when given a ton of problems at once, which is why their meta's, the meta's been quite interesting for them, because in many ways they are both armies that are really well suited to the standoffish, tradey game, because they can just whittle you away. I put Guide, I put Doom, my army kills whatever it looks at that has those two things slapped on, and I do it rinse and repeat, right? Whereas actually, if you rush and get into those, uh, into those units and stop them all being able to sync up on bigger mm-hmm. targets... The game plan falls apart. Craftworlds are, whilst good, they're a, a real house of cards of an army. So sometimes the overload is really worth it because it stops it getting to do its game. Mm-hmm. Um, Tower a tricky one because it's not they're they're hard work even if you do get into them and they're not easy to kill. But they both feel like armies where certainly with with certain armies I play, it's felt like the need to actually get stuck in has meant I've had to adopt a more assertive approach with some armies to yeah. get in there. Um, contrary to the, all those points, as as I've already alluded to, I'm not a very aggressive <laughs> player. No. What's interesting for me is um, being on the receiving end of that. So, yep. as I've always mentioned, I quite like it when yep. um, aggressive armies come onto me and they mm-hmm. sort of stay. They play in my third. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very good at putting down models that come into that range. Yep. Um, which is great. However, firstly, not all armies want to do that. Mm-hmm. Some, as you just mentioned, are happy to sit in their third and they're much yeah. better at that than I am. That's exactly so it. So that's something you have to recognize is when when do I need to switch gear? Yes. Um, and to be honest, not something I'm good at. So it's it's, no. it's it's something that sort of I am working on. But by doing that, 
you get this overly defensive mindset and then actually you arrive, you realize that sort of turn three you think, Oh God, I've got not enough time now to do that, to get to the places that I need yes. to get to in order to actually win this game, despite maybe having more than enough resources to do it. Mm. I've actually lost time just by being sort of <clears throat> either too scared of the um, potential overload. Yeah. Or sort of failing to recognise how the army properly operates, um, and therefore sort of playing the defensively anyway. So I think that's yeah. on the other side of the coin how you can sort of try and re- try and recognise what your opponent's doing mm-hmm. um, and respond accordingly. Don't just you know sit back because that's what they want you to do. Because then even if they don't get to you, they get the entire board. So yeah, no, completely. And it's it's worth saying as you say, overloading uh, done wrong or done at the wrong time can also be game ending so that's, yes. that's, that's the flip side you give all those yeah. assets away it was like they had the famous there was a really infamous game last year where I think it was Sean Naden basically got completely tabled in a turn by by like an orc speed war because mm. he, he, he was elves he just had to go all in it didn't line up well enough and they <laughs> just, they the just whole, didn't work yeah. the whole army just got gunned off the table sometimes it goes that way um, the way she and, goes and obviously if you're trying to stay in a game and eke out points and be and be in the game all the way to the end then overloading is fraught with risk that you, you yeah. lose the ability. It's definitely a do or die strategy. It's a, a very time. hard knowing when to weigh that up and when to go and when to stay is a really tricky one. I mean armies like Blood Angels for example are all about this because actually yeah. if they get the overload right they just crush you. But if they get it wrong everything is dead. Um <laughs> and and so they 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 really live or die by timing that right and playing cover and playing the moment to go right um but at the same time they're not an army that just wants to send one unit one unit one unit all game they no, want they want to have a moment where like war. five of their jump pack units get into five things yeah. and just batter them because that's that's when that's the, the game, way that's when the game swings so again it's it's different types of army different types of things but i think it's a really interesting because tra- trading has definitely become very salient has become very hot hot topic i think we're because of the risks involved and because it can go wrong and because it's harder to know when it's the right move, I think we're less good at working overloading into our conversation mm. about armies and about resource. But certainly it's, it's, it's a very viable and very popular strategy that you do encounter out there alongside the more measured stuff. Wonderful. Um, does anyone have anything else important to add? Any any pearls of wisdom? I'm just going to say FSR one more time. Um <laughs> Nothing from me. Chris looks like he's got an incredible gun. point to make. Yeah, go on, oh, Chris. No, I was going to say, we've smashed it. I'm pretty sure we've completed Warhammer. Oh, yeah, good. No, okay, I agree. Well, he's an incredible point. I don't point think I'm ever going to lose again. I've just got a yeah. feeling. I think that's and no point. listener will ever lose. <laughs> no, well, yeah, exactly. Now you please have... write to us if you ever lose, because yeah, if you we'll, lose... Chris will take full responsibility. <laughs> yeah, we, will, we will accept the blame. Um, you will never lose at Warhammer again. Warhammer is going to stay exactly the way you now understand it forever. <laughs> And you are not going to have to rethink anything in the next two to three we've done weeks. it. We've done the thinking for you. The units yeah. you love will continue to be good. The armies you love will continue to be good. Um, Rules don't change. Points stay the same. Exactly as it currently is, uh, with no prospect of any kind of chaos, instability, or turbulence. So, so see you in two weeks, guys. Yeah, we'll see you in two <laughs> weeks as we sail into the placid, never-changing 40k landscape together as one. We have been the plus. We have had a very good time, um, and we will see you all next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.